Well, it is a delight to be with you today at Oakwood uh, Community Church. Uh, we're good friends, my wife and I are good friends with, with Don and Julie, and we're you know, hoping they're have a good, having a good time in Florida and, and be back here shortly and ready to go recharge to, to minister the Word. But it is a delight to be with you on this Good Friday to worship together, to sing these songs, and to be reminded of what happened that Friday on a cross that changed everything for each one of us. I got a call uh, a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago now, from a friend of ours in the church, and he said, I just had lunch with a friend of mine, and he said, uh, I'm dying of cancer. Nobody knows yet, but I have stage four pancreatic cancer. So my friend asked his friend, he said, well, are you ready to meet the Lord? And my friend told me he didn't have a good answer. So I said, you've got to come to church with me this Sunday and hear uh, Pastor Doug preach. And so he called me to make sure I was going to be there. And sure enough, that Sunday, after the last service, uh, I was in the lobby and uh, this man came up to me and introduced himself. He was well known. Uh, You all would know his name. But he said, uh, do you have time for a couple questions? I said, well, certainly. So we went over uh, to the edge of our foyer by the uh, glass windows there. I pulled up a chair next to him, and he put his hand out on mine. He said, uh, can you tell me, Reverend, can a, can a person know for sure that they're going to go to heaven? I couldn't have cued it up any better. And I said, uh, yeah, let me share how you can know. And I shared the gospel with this man. Uh, that I had just met, although I'd known about him for uh, decades. I shared the gospel with him in two or three different ways. And he listened very intently. Uh, uh, And then he shared with me, he said, you know, through my foundations, we've been able to meet the needs and and the wishes of 3,500 children. And he was waiting for a response. And my response to him that day was based on a Good Friday many, many years ago. If you have your Bibles, would you join me in John chapter 19? John 19. Uh, if you don't have your Bible today or a device, the, the verses that I'm going to be referencing are going to be on the screen. Jesus had completed uh, about three years of ministry, and now his ministry led him to the cross. He had made his way uh, coming down from Capernaum through Jericho, now into, uh, into Jerusalem to that Friday. The previous Sunday that you celebrated last uh, Sunday was Palm Sunday, where he came down the Mount of Olives to the, the cries and the worship, uh, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And yet Jesus, as he came down on that donkey, the tears came down his face because those people who were worshiping, uh, along with others, didn't understand two things. They didn't understand the ingredients for peace, or what makes peace. And secondly, they didn't understand the day of God's visitation. In fact, they'd missed it. And so Jesus now is on the cross. He was placed on the cross at about 9 o'clock in the morning, at noon, Everything went dark, and it was dark from, nine, from 12 until 3, and he died around the 3 o'clock time period. He was there, Mark and, and Matthew tell us the story that when Jesus was on the cross, they tried to get him to drink. It was wine that was mixed with, with myrrh and gall, uh, drugs to help 
uh, deadness senses so the pain wouldn't be so bad. Jesus refused that, to experience the full weight of the physical pain. The cross was not invented by the Romans. It was invented by the Persians, but perfected by the Romans for the purpose of delaying the, the death process as long as possible while they increased the pain as much as possible. And so Jesus hung on the cross, but it was not the physical pain. We will use the word excruciating. Uh, it, it certainly was that. We use that word today, but actually the word comes from the Latin, which means crux or cross. That's where we got it. That pain was so, so horrible. But the physical pain wasn't the worst. It was the spiritual pain. The Bible tells us through Paul the Apostle, for God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of Christ. So during those six hours, God had placed the sin of the entire world on Jesus, the perfect lamb. And I've often envisioned it, and I don't know when it was. Right now it's 1219, this Friday. I wondered what time it was on that six-hour time period where God took my sins and he put them on his son, or your sins. And the weight of the sins of the world were placed on Jesus during that time period. Now I want to take you to the minute or two before he died on the cross. John chapter 19, um, in verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, and so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. I wondered if you watched it at that time, if you, when Jesus said, I thirst, and they gave him the sour wine, what words would come out of his mouth next? Who would know? Three words in the English language, it is finished. One word in the Greek language, tetelestai, it is finished. And it's, it's incumbent upon us today, as we look at those words, it is finished, to determine what the word it is. It is finished. What's finished? His life? The world? I want to suggest to you today that what was finished was his mission. And we'll look at three aspects of that. First of all, the mission accepted. Secondly, the mission challenged. And third, the mission accomplished. The, the mission accepted. The mission of Jesus, the Messiah, was prophesied throughout the Old Testament. What it, and we have hints of it all the way back in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. God had made man and woman and placed them in a, in a perfect setting in the garden. But it was in that setting that they, being influenced by the wicked one himself, fell to temptation. And because of that, everything changed. Every man born into the world, Romans 5.12 tells us that, wherefore is by one sin um, entered into the world, so death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And so with, with every man's sin alienated, objects of God's wrath, there had to be a plan. 
And the plan of God was redemption through his son. Not determined in Genesis chapter 3, but determined before the foundation of the world. And then we have hints of that throughout the rest of the Old Testament. For all we like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. For he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Written by Isaiah eight centuries before that Friday would actually happen. Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5, pulls it together for us. And when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And John writes, the next day he saw Jesus, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so we find that on that last couple of minutes of Jesus' life, we ask the question, what was it then that held Jesus to the cross? On the surface, you'd say it was uh, some nails, But going beyond that, you'd have to say, no, maybe it was the Romans, or maybe it was the Jews. Or as one songwriter said, it was my sin who held them there. And yet, the the writers tell us in the New Testament, Acts chapter 2, verse 23, in a sermon, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you received and killed by the hands of lawless men. While... People all played a part. What held him there was the love and the plan of God. And Jesus would be suspended on that cross until the mission was accomplished. Jesus was to fulfill that mission, but I want you to notice as well that Jesus voluntarily accepted his mission. John 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then John chapter 19 and verse 30. The Bible says he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. No one took the life of Jesus from him. While it was the plan of God, while Romans were involved and Jews were involved and ultimately every man's sin was involved, it was God's plan that his son were to die. And that was all motivated by this incredible love that God has for you. That's a message I've preached for decades. I wish I had a way to make everyone believe that God loved them. Even many Christians who know that concept and will fight for that theological truth have a hard time embracing and believing that the God of the universe loves them. Do you know that today? That God loves you? And he lo- his love for you is unconditional? His love for you is undeserved. But his love for you is so immense and so incredible, measured by the cross itself. My wife and I, when we were first married, we would, I would ask her, how much do you love me? And she would ask me, and we'd have, uh, kind of get, maybe got tired of sharing the words, and I would just go like this. My love for you is infinite in every direction. And probably not true. But God's love for us is true. He loves us infinitely, measured by the cross. And Jesus said, it 
is finished. Mission was challenged. It was challenged. It was challenged, first of all, right after he was born. Well, in fact, you could take the challenge back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, where this conflict would exist between the seed of the woman, or Jesus, and the wicked one himself. And then you find, you read about, in, in Matthew chapter 2, you read about Herod, who heard about this child that was born, who was going to be the king of the Jews. And so immediately he went into action to have this child, uh, male babies, killed, hoping that in that net he would catch Jesus. And Jesus, of course, was delivered, uh, and uh, parents took him to, uh, to Egypt. Uh, uh, Revelation 12 references the same story. And there was that, that frontal attack that we found in Matthew chapter 4. Right after Jesus had been baptized, the Bible says that he was driven or led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the wicked one. And every one of those temptations was, were an attempt by Satan himself to get Jesus detoured, to get Jesus to sin. If he, was, if he would succeed in getting Jesus to do that, the mission would be aborted because Jesus would no longer be sinful and he was no longer God. I believe that Jesus could not have sinned, being the Son of God. And so when those temptations came, he, he addressed every, every one of those temptations by quoting Scripture and by saying no to the wicked one. In the last temptation, we have these words. And he said, Satan said to him, All these I will give to you, the kingdoms of the world, if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. And you, you say, Wow, that was great. Temptation's over. I believe Jesus was tempted um, probably every day of his life by the wicked one. There were those temptations, and the scripture says he was tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin. But just for ever, the purpose of those temptations was to get Jesus just to fall, just to give in, just to bow down, just to make those stones into bread. He could have done it, but he chose not to. Mission then was challenged, even with Peter. Jesus, as I said, was making his way down from Jerusalem, or from Capernaum. But before coming south from Capernaum, he went 30 miles out of his way north to the town of Caesarea Philippi to, to teach two things. Uh, you say, what would be so important that he would take him 30 miles out of the way? This is before they had Cadillac Escalades or Ubers, and it was hard traveling. But he took him out of the way, walking 30 miles to teach him something. And what he had to teach him that day involved two things that they would hear for the very first time. They would hear about the church. And remember he asked the question of his disciples, who do men say that I am? Their answer was, some say you're the prophet, some say... And all around was the pantheon of gods, Pan, and even a, a, a shrine built to Caesar. Who do people say that I am? Take your choice. Who do, who do they say I am? And well, some say you're this, some say you're that. Well, who do you say that I am? A question that every person born into this universe has to answer. Who is Jesus? Is he a teacher? 
Is he a moral leader? Is he the son of God? Is he God? What did he accomplish? Um, Peter answered the question. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And to that, Jesus responded, you got it right. But flesh and blood have not revealed it to you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah. You didn't get this from your dad. You got this from your heavenly father. That, that conclusion that comes to the heart and to the mind can only come as the work of the Spirit of God, representing God himself, works in our heart and brings us to the place uh, to believe and to, to enunciate who he is. Peter would go on to say, uh, from that time Jesus uh, began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get me behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Notice the Bible said you, he must go to Jerusalem. That was his mission. That was his mission, to go to Jerusalem, and at Jerusalem he would die. So the mission was challenged all through his life, but at each occasion he would meet that challenge. Now, in the last three words, Tetelestai, it's finished. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. The word tetelestai is pronounced in different ways, and I'm not sure anybody really knows for sure. Tetelestai is a word that's uncommon to us, but it was pretty common uh, at that time. Tetelestai was used in a number of different ways. It was used by servants uh, when they reported to their, their master that the job is complete. In fact, Jesus used that word in his high priestly prayer. In John chapter 17, he says, I have completed the work that you've sent me to do. Tetelestai, mission accomplished. What you sent me to do, it's done. It was also used of priests as priests would examine a sacrificial animal that was brought to be examined. And he would examine the animal, and the word was used, tetelestai, to say it, it, it passes. It, it's ready to be sacrificed. And of course, this is uh, the spotless lamb is ready to be sacrificed. We also find the word was used uh, with artists and authors when a painting was done. Uh, they could step back from that painting. The artist could say, tetelestai, it's done. Or an author, when he finishes, or when she finishes the writing, closes off by saying, the end, or tetelestai, I'm done. Project's over. But it was, all, it was used probably most frequently of merchants. When merchants would um, work a deal, <clears throat> the, the service or the product was delivered, and the payment was made. When the payment was made, it was tetelestai. There's no longer any debt. Payment has been made in full. I don't know about you, but when Good Friday comes along, my mind goes back for decades. I grew up in church world. And so there was a song that we used to sing back in the day. Um, we still sing it today occasionally, I think. Jesus paid it all. Remember that one? All to him I owe. Sin hath left 
a crimson stain, and he washed it white as snow. Mission accomplished. Tetelestai. We find the, 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 the justice of God was satisfied. The sacrifice was paid in full. Um, the greatest work ever accomplished was done. He had been made sin for us, and he suffered the pain of God's justice, which sin deserves. And that death of Jesus took place once for all. For the death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Romans chapter 6 and verse 10. I love the Hebrews 7 passage, verse 27. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily. For his own sins and for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. He entered into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing the redemption, an eternal redemption. Tadalestai, it's finished. It's a shout of victory. Because the purpose of God, the mission of God, had been accomplished by Jesus, and everything was paid in full, and it's over, it's finished. The cry that is finished echoes all through the ages to this present day. Our sins have been covered. He's been made the reconciliation for iniquity. The Old Testament prophecies have been fulfilled. Redemption is complete. Eternal life is available through Jesus Christ. And with those words, it is finished. The veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. And from that point on, believers have access to the throne of God. So much happened with those Three words, it is finished, with one word, Tadalestai. So my friend said to me in the, in the lobby of the church that day, he said, well, you need to know that through my foundations I've blessed or I've made the wishes come true of 3,500 children. What do you say to that? I shared with him that day, I said, I I know what you've done. And you have helped so many people through your foundations. But you need to know that none of that counts. He looked at me like, what do you mean? When Jesus died on the cross, he paid it all. We can't add anything to that without, it doesn't count, it's insulting. Jesus paid it all. So it's not what we do. It's what he's done on the cross for us. He called me Reverend that day throughout, and we got to know each other by first names in the months to come. And we would text back and forth or talk. And in, in the sovereign plan of God, God brought a couple other people into his life who were sharing the same message of that Friday, centuries ago. And I was with him two days before he died in his house, not too far from here. I held him by the hand, and I said, I need to ask you. He'd made a profession of faith, but I want to just affirm it in that moment. I held held his hand, and he gripped it tightly. And I said, are you trusting in Jesus and the work of that Jesus did on the cross for you alone. Not anything you've done. And he smiled and softly said the word yes. 
as he gripped my hand even tighter. I had the opportunity to do his funeral um, you know, probably a couple of weeks later. That meeting I had with him was two days before he died and probably the last day he was lucid. So what do we do with that Friday? I'm thrilled that this man came to know Jesus as Savior through his profession and through the work of Jesus, not his own. How about you? Are you trusting in that work of Jesus on the cross? Are you? Alone? If not, I would encourage you to give your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. He died on the cross that you might not have to spend one second in eternity apart from him. Give your heart and life to him. Believe and accept. What else do we do with that Friday? If, you, uh, if you've come to know Jesus as Savior, this Friday is hard. Every Friday is, every good Friday is hard. And I'm so glad that Oakwood Community Church has chosen to have a good Friday service to focus on that, the events of that day rather than just leapfrogging directly to Easter and to celebrate the Easter story and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because what happened that Friday is so critical to our eternity with, have, with Jesus in heaven. So let me encourage you today to celebrate, to remember, to go back to that day in your own life when by faith you accepted the work of Jesus on the cross for you. If it was last year, if it was 10 years ago, for some of you it may have been 40 or 50 years ago. May we never ever forget the day we were redeemed and set free and the way we claim that salvation by faith in him and rejoice in that and worship him. What else do we do with that story of Friday? We share it. We share it. Oh, that everyone would know. In fact, the scripture tells us in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Jesus died <clears throat> for people, and he loves them. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation to take that message to all those who've never heard. Let me encourage you. There's one way you can do it, even in the next few hours. And that's invite somebody to come with you on Easter Sunday. Um, one study I read said like seven, out of, uh, seven to eight out of every ten people uh, who don't go to church would come to church if they were only invited. Does that surprise you? That encourages me. Let's go invite people. Just invite them to come to church with you on Easter Sunday morning. You'll know they're going to hear the message. That's just one way you can do it. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ and for what he did for all of us on the cross. I thank you for that. And Lord, we worship you and we praise you. We want to live out our lives to serve you in not only our adoration, our commitment, but Father, as salt and light in a world that desperately needs to see the only one who can deliver from sin. So Father, use us today as we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.